Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds, and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS. If you want to support our work, consider becoming a Curious About Cannabis member and get access to on-demand lectures and courses, a members-only podcast feed that features exclusive episodes, early releases of episodes, and even extended versions of episodes, as well as merchandise and event discounts and more. Become a member today at member.cacpodcast.com. That's member.cacpodcast.com. And finally, special thanks to our current annual educational event sponsors, including The Workshop, CBD National, and Green Earth Medicinals. Your support has enabled us to develop some really fun and engaging educational events that help curious minds get connected to experienced scientists, clinicians, and brilliant minds of all sorts that are also curious about cannabis and passionate about sharing their knowledge with others. Your support has allowed us to issue tuition scholarships, discounts, and even free opportunities to passionate people that ultimately will benefit the most from it. So thanks so much for that. If you want to learn more about our Curious About Cannabis events, go to cacpodcast.com events. And if your company would like to become an event sponsor, visit cacpodcast.com sponsors to learn more. And with that, Stay curious, everybody, and enjoy the show. Hi there. This is Shango Lose, founder and host of Shaping Fire. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged, obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them. Listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Today, I am really, really excited because we've got kind of a uh, convergence of cannabis podcasts here. Um, but I'm connecting with somebody who I've been told repeatedly by guest after guest that I've interviewed that this is a person I need to connect with. Um, I've been told that um, uh, a lot of the people that I interview that I remind them of this person. So we finally made it happen. Um, I'm here with Shango Los of the Shaping Fire podcast. Shango, thanks so much for being willing to take the time today to connect and come on the podcast. Hey, Jason. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And, you know, right off the top, I want to say um, thank you for the work that you do, um, because as you know, uh, a scientist in this field and, and kind of crawling out of my cave 
into <laughs> media and, and trying to connect with the outside world, you know, I definitely have recognized that that your work has been some of the best that I've come across in terms of trying to uh, connect lay people with technical information in a digestible way that's relevant. Um, so my hat's off to you, man. Um, thanks so much for the, the great work that you've been doing so far. Well, thank you very much. Um, I really put my heart into it. I'm, I'm always doing my best and I really enjoy it as well. And, yeah. um, and now that the show has grown, you know, I've, that we're in our fourth year now of Shaping Fire, uh, it's gotten to the point where uh, it can support me now. So, so that is nice. It was a lot of, lot of years of doing multiple jobs, um, but, but I'm at the point now that I can, I can really focus on the show and, you know, um, uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. That's yeah, that's so awesome and hopeful for me to hear because I'm only, you know, we're just past uh, like a year and a half or so of Curious About Cannabis um, running. And so I'm in that period right now of working like multiple jobs, <laughs> balancing this too and trying to, to make it all happen. So I can totally, totally relate to that, that hustle. Um, and I know that a lot of my listeners, because they've told me, a lot of my listeners do already listen to Shaping Fire, but to those that are unfamiliar or don't know who you are, do you mind uh, providing just a little bit of background into, um, uh, you know, first what Shaping Fire is, and then I want to work backwards and just talk about kind of your relationship with cannabis and, and uh, your general story. All right. Well, then I guess I'll just start with talking a little bit about Shaping Fire, and then you can lead me wherever you want to lead me after that. Perfect. So um, uh, uh, Shaping Fire is a audio-only podcast that fo focuses on uh, cannabis health, cultivation, and uh, solventless extraction techniques. And so uh, it is uh, in the early days, but for the first year, um, I was focused to a great deal on cannabis business, but over time, um, not only were there a lot of other people covering cannabis business, but I, I realized that after uh, medical cannabis went away in my state of Washington and my national clients in medical started converting to rec, that um, the vibe changed in the scene. And I wasn't as excited about covering business anymore. I was really much more interested in uh, cannabis patients, um, different uh, cultivars, um, um, how working with them in different preparations helps uh, human health. And then um, after, uh, you know, after I learned how to make um, uh, ice hash, and then once ice hash rosin came on the scene, I realized that that most of us can do all the things that we need for cannabis at home without even inter interfacing with the licensed market. And while um, and while I wish the licensed market success, I mean, I've got lots of friends in the licensed market. Um, uh, I found that that wasn't the part that I was most excited about. The part I was excited about was um, uh, small cannabis communities, home grow, and and um, you know people trading cannabis. Uh, so that so they had greater variety so so that's essentially what uh shaping fire covers now um we have got uh you know some of the best um guests in the whole world available to us um we're pulling in um uh you know uh, uh botany botanists um uh, scientists from the lab folks who are you know neurologists um uh, also cannabis breeders um you know a master uh, master hash maker sounds like such a load but, <laughs> right, but, yeah. but folks are very talented and experienced with making hash and and so um i bring him on the show and and we talk a lot of specifics the idea of the show was always to give people enough um 
uh, information to be able to take action. Um, it, it frustrates me when I listen to a podcast that is supposed to be teaching me, but it leaves all these big gaps. And so I really do my best to uh, 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 provide content that gives people a nice full package so that they can either make decisions or or do the technique or or understand their health better in 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 one nice tight 90 minute package. And so um, so so that's that's the nature of the show. And um, you know, I like to say that uh, shaping fire you, with shaping fire, you get educated while we respect your time, right? Um, I yeah. don't spend a lot of time, like you know, I don't get high on the show. I don't, I don't talk about my guests with uh, talk to my guests about what cultivars they're smoking. Like, there's different shows that do that, and that's cool, right. and and it, and it draws a kind of audience that wants that kind of, um, um. I don't know, bro vibe, right? Um, but, yeah, like um, hanging out, yeah. Yeah, totally. And they'll do these long shows. But but the kinds of folks who tend to listen to Shaping Fire tend to be, you know, cannabis uh, enthusiasts who also have got other things they've got to get done. Maybe they run companies. Maybe they are, you know, made their decision makers. Um, or they're just like people who are busy. And so I try yeah. not to waste folks time. I try to get in, get to the point, get people the information that they're going to need on whatever the topic and then, and then end the show and, you know, in a cheerful way. Absolutely. Well, and that's, that's something I really respect because that's been um, a big part of my approach too. And part of that comes from just like my analytical thinking as a scientist, but I'm like, yeah, I don't get high on the show. Just, it's really just what's the the core piece of information that's interesting and, and making that digestible. And I noticed that in your marketing, you know, that uh, we're trying not to waste your time. Um, and I, I love that. Um, and I also appreciate what you just said about watching the this transition and the, the vibe change from as things switch from medical to rec, because I definitely experienced the same thing here in Oregon. You know, I was involved in the medical program. I was a medical patient and also working um, you know, building this lab to try to help people understand what was in their products. And we were dealing mostly with patients, uh, a lot of medical patients that were make, growing their own cannabis, making their own products and wanting to understand whether they were safe to consume and what the potency was and that sort of thing. And then you do see this shift and now, uh, all of it is just so, so different. Um, and it's hard, I think for some people to appreciate just how substantially, things have changed if they weren't involved in the medical systems before, you know, everything started to come online, especially in other states okay. that, you know, are taking a little longer to to make some of these changes to their laws. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit, uh, just to expand a little bit more on your perspective on just exactly how things changed from uh, kind of the early medical days into, um, you know, the legal systems that we have now, what were some of those changes you started to pick up on? Sure. Um, I've got three that I think that are probably good to hit on. The first one is uh, we've already hit on a little bit, which is um, the the players changed. Who was involved uh, during mm -hmm. the medical days? Um, you know, there were there were more heritage cultivators and heritage medicine preparers who were involved, um, who were not uh they were fringe folks because there was a lot to lose back in the metal medical days too, when there were still yeah. still being raids and and things, and uh, the laws were changing, and so many people were working in the gray market, that um, you know most of us had 
some of the people in law enforcement who were supporting our our you know ability to create medicine and put it in the hands of cannabis patients but there were other folks in law enforcement who were not ascribing to that and so uh, it made it very risky and and you know once it became more safe for capital um yeah. and licensing started to happen the the capital came and with that comes a different kind of risk assessment and different um different uh, bureaucracy for the the players and a lot of the the heritage cultivators they didn't have the 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 credit score to to rent a, lo a legal location or they didn't have the business acumen because at, at, at their heart they were farmers right or or alchemists yeah. how they saw themselves not really as business people and the people who were organized and did have the capital to be able to to rent legal places and go through the state bureaucracy and end up getting the licenses and know how to hire out for HR and know how to sell to investors. Those are a different kind of person. And um, and again, I don't intend and it's not my goal here to diss those folks, because I think mm -hmm. that uh, increased access in every state is important and, and access is is a priority. However, um, it, it very much changed from a we're in it for the patients and I've been around cannabis all, you know, for years and we're trying to do our best by the patients into being something that has more neon lights and, and finer packaging, you know, and now uh, the vibe yeah, changed yeah. and, 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 for, you know, and so, so that was a significant difference. Um, the second thing I will point out is that the, um, the, the, the varieties of products change. Now, certainly now that we're many more years in um, to legalization in, or at least licensing in some states, there are beginning to be more patient focused products. But yeah. just about every state that has medical first and then they go wreck, there is this sudden dearth of medical products when the licenses uh, come out because uh, licensed folks know that the things that are always a reliable sell are high THC flour. And so that's what everybody starts with, you know? Um, and I had plenty of clients who were making this transition. They're like, all right, we need to start with the high THC flour. Once we get that established, then we're going to roll out these other products. Well, for patients who had gotten off their, their pharmaceuticals, um, that gap could literally kill them, um, um, either because they had to go back to pharmaceuticals and they were dealing with those side effects, or um, they had gotten to a point where their body had healed enough in certain ways that they couldn't go back to those same pharmaceuticals without it being a bumpy ride of getting your body back attuned to a pharmaceutical solution instead of an herbal solution. And so... Um, so, uh, you know, a, a perfect example for that is um, full extract um, uh, cannabis oil. So an ethanol extract, most of us know it as RSO. So uh, RSO usually disappears from the market during the transition from medical to recreational. And then when it does start to show up in a rec market, you'll find companies who are like selling their CO2 RSO, right? Which is not, you know, you know, yeah. it's not the same thing, right? Um, because it's more economical for them to run it, you know, through a CO2 machine than it is for them to do the more often laborious um, ethanol extraction. And um, and so the the there's this there's this variety of 
um, products are gone. However, with the legal market, so some really cool things have come about, like um, really uh, great dispensers um, for for yeah. RSO, and uh, some of the inhalers are pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, the uh, the advancement of vaporizers has just wildly expanded. So there's been a lot of things that that good that have come with the licensed market too. But I think that's more to do with the the the, the idea that um, um, it's easier for these cannabis companies to get funding now for their novel products where, um, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, medical is pre-capital is capital. Right. And so there, there was, it was a lot harder to, for, for those companies. And my third example also involves RSO, the, uh, the full extract oil, you know, back in the day, if you had, if you needed RSO cause you were sick, um, you could go to, uh, at least on the West coast, you could go to some kind of, um, you know, patient cannabis exchange of some sort. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and yeah. you know, they, they were often, you know, straddling the gray market and the, you know, they, they, they were, they're often, you know, kind of straddling legality, but the heart was there and the quality was there often. And yeah. um, the people were smiling and there were lots of hugs and it felt like a family thing. And, um, and depending on where you were regionally, you could get um, a one milliliter syringe of high quality RSO for between 15 and 60 bucks, 15 or 50 bucks, depending on where you were. And, and here, and here's the example part is that, you know, just about everybody I knew who made RSO had a discount for people who were doing a 60 milliliters in 90 days cannabis protocol, right? Because yeah. if you if you had cancer and you had found yourself, um, you know, going to try RSO, <clears throat> you're either already kind of like an herbally minded person or you were already broke because the Western system had already taken all your money. The doctors had already taken them all. And so you were, yeah. you were at your last bet and you were going to try cannabis, right? So usually, you know, the people who had cancer and were ready to try RSO were already broke. And we all felt bad for them because they had cancer, right? It's a terrible, yeah. it's a terrible thing to have to deal with. And so you'd get people who you know, would give somebody a huge reduction, say, say if they were selling their syringes for, you know, $50 normally, they would, you know, if you're going to buy 60, we'll drop the price down to 25 bucks, right? We'll, we'll do it half yeah. price. And like, sure, some of that is like you're buying in volume, right? Everybody, you know, volume discounts are good. But but really, it was more than that. There was a lot of heart in that price. And, um, the, the licensed market is not able to do that kind of price reduction. And so, uh, you know, there is not bulk purchasing really in the licensed market. Like, you know, if you, if you need multiple syringes of RSO, you buy one for $72 and another for $72 and then another for $72. And so people who need cannabis to live um, it has become harder for them to purchase at reasonable prices in the rec market, which, of course, is keeping the um, the alternative unlicensed market very much alive uh, throughout the country. And um, and, you know, the 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 rocky transition from the medical markets in most states to the rec um, markets. Um, it has it's kind of done bad for both. It's, it's it was bad for the medical heritage processors. It's also bad for the patients. And also because, the, uh, you know, this black market is still being kept alive because it's so needed. It's also bad for rec. So mostly 
you know, the state's mismanagement of these transitions from medical to licensed recreational has just uh, given us a, 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 a worse of all options. Yeah, everything that, that you just brought up, it brings out uh, a lot of memories for me thinking about Oregon and the transitions that we saw, you know, going from medical uh, to um to recreational. And one thing that I think about from a patient perspective, um, particularly when you talk about the reduction in the diversity of products, I remember how much experimentation was going on with CBD THC ratios um, leading up to like 2016 or so. And obviously it's still happening, but um, in the medical system, you know, uh, if I went to somebody and said I was looking for a certain ratio or once dispensaries became legal, because for a while they were kind of in this weird gray area. Yes, um, they were. <laughs> yeah. Once they became officially legal, you know, you could find four to ones, three to ones, two to ones, one to ones. Like you could find all of these things. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of them, but they they were solid. And uh, for me, I have these spinal cord injuries and I found, you know, like a two to one to four to one is uh, very nice for that. Um, I noticed that when things went, uh, recreational, you really don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, you know, you might see some one-to-ones, um, but that's, that's most of what you see. And it's either high THC, high CBD is now kind of getting relegated to hemp, but you still see that in dispensaries, um, from time to time. Um, but, but that's it. And so for someone like myself, that is a medical patient that no longer has a card because, it's now legal. Um, that uh, that was a big change, um, and so I I definitely um, have seen a lot of those those same changes too. And hearing you talk about it, you know, it's obvious you have a lot of passion for the patients and a lot of passion for that. You know, like you were saying, the um, the kind of source where all of this you know is is really coming from. So to kind of rewind quite a bit. Um, do you mind sharing, uh, how did your relationship with cannabis, um, get started? Is it something that goes back into, you know, teenage or early twenties for you, or is it something that you discovered later? Um, how did that relationship come about? Um, I would say I had, I had two beginnings of my relationship with yeah. cannabis because, uh, the first time was, um, my freshman year of college, um, uh, a buddy of mine went home. He lived in New York. He went home for Christmas and he came back and he brought some joints and I had never <laughs> had access before. Um, and, and, you know, had never, you know, seen it around or anything. It just wasn't where I lived in the, you know, yeah. uh, suburbs, Catholic school, that whole thing. And, um, and he brought it back and, you know, I, for whatever reason, I was immediately interested <laughs> like, I, there was no second thought. He's like, Oh, you want to try this? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's try new things, you know? And so yes. we tried it and I immediately thought it was great from a, an, um, an experiential, you know, point of view, both recreationally mm -hmm. because it was fun. Um, but also, I, you know, I immediately got the idea of the mind expansion part of it. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. wow, I really, it really shifts my perspective in ways I can consider my mundane life in new, fresh ways. So I thought that was really cool. And, um, you know, it took me, you know, about four weeks to get my first bag after that. And then I don't think I've been without it ever since, you know, you know, 1990 now or whatever. One of the funny things is um, I learned how to, you know, smoke cannabis um, during the first season of the Simpsons. 
And so, oh um, man, wow, that wow. goes way back. We used to, we used to all get together on, I don't know if it was Tuesday or Thursday nights, but we'd all get together and sit on the floor of the dorm room and all smoke and watch that first se- season of Simpsons. And that's, I, that's how I, you know, was get, you know, smoking with friends all the time. And I'm like, you know, I think I need to get some of this for myself. So, so then we've got like, just like, like a lifetime of being somebody who enjoys cannabis myself. But then um, uh, 2011 came and um, I was in a car accident. I suffered a dual concussion resulting in a traumatic brain injury. And um, the neurologist actually told me off the record. He says, you know, um, I recommend that you, um, you know, consider uh, using mushrooms to help rebuild your neural net and kind of soothe yeah. the, 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 the overactivity that I was getting, the overstimulation. And he says, yep. um, and he said, you know, I also recommend that you move out of the city. And so I moved out to Vashon Island where I live now. And, and, and he also said, I understand that there's some, you know, like healing properties in cannabis. He says, I can't recommend any of this for you officially. He says, but, but if you're, you know, um, like look into this stuff. And I was astonished, right? Because, you know, back in, yeah. back in those days, you know, 2011, um, you still like, didn't tell your doctor you used cannabis. Right, and right. I was, I was, I was a daily cannabis user at that point. And, um, and so I'm like, huh medicine huh oh like all right and so i started looking into it and um started you know reading the early research mostly coming out of europe and everything i'm like wow there really are medicinal properties going on here and um and then uh and then my dad got really bad knees and so um so so i had already learned how to make a cannabis tincture for myself um to help keep my um my nervous system calm and that i wouldn't get overstimulated um but then my dad knees got really bad and and the the pharmaceuticals he was using for anti-inflammation really had some bad side effects and so um um I, I said, hey, I bet you I could put my tincture in some like like body lotion or hand cream or something and right, whip them right. together and boom, topical, right? And so I tried it and it worked. And my dad put it on his knees and he's all like, oh my gosh, this works so much better and for so much longer than this like ugly pharmaceutical that he was on. And I don't mean to diss all pharmaceuticals, right? There, yeah, there, are, sure. there yeah. are appropriate pharmaceuticals at appropriate times. But in this case, an herbal remedy was much better for my dad. And um, he was very enthusiastic about it. And, um, and that made me feel good about it as well, because, um, you know, my parents were historically um, discouraging me from, you know, cannabis yeah. or, you know, like drugs in general. Right. Cause you know, parents. Sure, yeah. and, uh, but, but at this point I'm like, wait a minute, there is something here. This is helping me soothe my brain injury and heal. And now it's helping my dad too. What else is going on? And so I dove into both, um, uh, like learning about cannabis medicine from you know any sources I could, and also trying to learn uh, herbal preparations. Um, I live here in Seattle. I live pretty close to Bastyr University, and so yeah, my whole yeah. area is just like dripping with herbalists. They're everywhere, and so you know if you're you know if if you if you're nice to them, they will tell you their secrets. And so and so that's that's right. that, that's when I got my rebirth into in the cannabis medicine in in 2011, and. Um, and then, of course, you know, things things have continued uh, since then. Yeah, and and how did that? I mean, first of all, I want to say, um, I get why people wanted us to talk because, um, in some ways, we have some big parallels between the the two of us. Because um, 
uh, I went through a similar experience with my mom. So after I had all these spinal cord injuries and trying to figure out how to get control over, you know, myself and, and the things that I was dealing with, um, I had been a regular cannabis user, just like you had described. And then, you know, kind of discovered this new perspective of looking at it. And then uh, my mom had really bad fibromyalgia and, you know, arthritis and stuff. And very similarly, I gave her some extract that we mixed with a, uh, like a coconut oil based um, topical that she, I can't remember what it was. Just really simple, just mixed it in there. And um, likewise, she's like, oh my gosh, this is better than any pharmaceutical I've ever taken for, you know, for these, these problems. Um, so it's funny, um, those parallels, um, I can um totally relate to and how did so you you know you start to understand how cannabis is affecting you and helping you find this kind of new balance that you need in your life and then that's bleeding out into loved ones and seeing the effects that cannabis can have on them um when did your passion for education start to really manifest where you really started to move forward in sharing all of these things that you were learning uh, with other people. Cause you've been doing, I mean, beyond the podcast, you've organized uh, all sorts of events um, on Vashon Island and other things like that. And I definitely want to talk about um, the work that you've done to really bring the community together um, to learn and, and share knowledge and everything. So what were the, yeah. What, how did those seeds, I guess, get um, germinated, if you will? Sure, sure. I, into a lot of the education. I see where you're going. Um, so, yeah. so the way the way the timeline went out is um, um, hit my head in 2011. Um, started making my own preparations, and you know when you're making tincture and and it's working for you, and and people, your friends and loved ones find out you're making it. Suddenly they're using your tinctures, and then and then the, their loved ones are using your tinctures, and and then medical got going um, more significantly in Washington, um, or at least my participation of it was was increased and uh, my tinctures um became being sold through the the, the washington medical market and nice. it was great um i was able to um make these tinctures and share them through um you know legal dispensaries and um uh, it was at that point that people started asking me questions because at that point they're all like, okay, which of the four tinctures do I want? Why do I want them? Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, which, which, which cultivar, which press preparation is going to help me now versus something in high CBD that is designed to strengthen your endocannabinoid system and will help me long-term, you know, like, like, and, and that was when I first got into thinking about and teaching dosing strategies to patients. And so I loved that I really enjoyed that and um, and you know the the medical days were a heyday right not not only because everybody was so nice not everybody but the vast majority of people were very nice um, but also the margins weren't as tight as they are today yeah and so yeah. you know you could actually do this and, and and support yourself and and while I never got to that level right um, uh, we the, you know the market transitioned um, to yeah, legal yeah. before you know I, I I had like a business business right I, my volume was never of, of units were was never significant but people liked it right people and, and that yeah. that buoyed me and and I started teaching so then when there was the um when when the market started to um, 
well, before we talk about the market pivoting, it was at this same time that I um, began reaching out to the the underground cannabis growers on Vashon because uh, Vashon has been known for its high quality cannabis all the way back to the 70s. Yeah. You know, bands would come through Seattle and they try to like get their Vashon hook up and they pick up some weed yes. for the rest of tour and all that kind of stuff. And so I knew that these these cultivators were here on Vashon, but I also knew they were very much still in the underground. And mm-hmm. but but because there were so many people producing on the island, um, prices for ounces on the island were just like ridiculously low, you know, and um, that was great if you lived on the island, but it was really bad for the the cultivators who were trying to support their families on it. And, yeah. and I realized that um, there were all these dispensaries, a short ferry ride away in, uh, in Seattle that um, would love to have the produce from my island. But none of the none of the cultivators wanted to leave the island. I didn't want. To, I still don't want to leave the island. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Once you once you moved here, you're like you're like ah, I don't want to go to Babylon. You know, I don't. I don't yeah, want right. to. Yeah. I don't want to go to that. It's, it's noisy and everybody's driving crazy and and like everything's you know, good here. We'll just yeah. stay in place. But um, but because I was you know I was more recently on the island than than these cultivators who grew up here, um, I wrote a one page invitation talking a, a little bit about um, this group that I wanted to form on Vashon um, called Vimia, uh, which stands for the Vashon, the Vashon Island Marijuana Entrepreneurs Alliance. And I wanted to know what they wanted as far as representation. Like what, what can you use as a cultivator? What, what would help you yeah. in the underground? And so I made up a bunch of these letters and I started giving them out to the kinds of people on the island who I thought would know cultivators. So particular types of farmers, certain types of community mm-hmm. organizers. I'm like, if, I'm like, you don't have to tell me if you know a cultivator, but if you know a cultivator, would you give them this letter? And they're like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so these, these, these letters went into the underground. I made like 25 of them. And these these um, these black market cultivators started like showing up at the oddest of times, too, because um, nobody was calling me. I would just be, you know, you know, at, at at a baseball game or a softball game, you know, and somebody would come up to me and say, like, you know, you're Shango, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, I got your letter. And I'm like, oh, wow. wow. And they're like, you want to go for a little walk? And I'm like, yes. And so we'd go and we'd talk and and, you know, the the universally everybody wanted security right everybody was afraid to get busted for their grows and so i knew that um normalization on the island was one of the important things that vimy was going to do um and then and then the other thing was is that everybody um was spending way too much money on inputs they're like all the imp all these fancy ass inputs are expensive and so um so the very first thing i did when i formed vimeo was to um start essentially a media slash, I guess, propaganda campaign that was pro cultivator. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, things, things like, um, um, you know, we were, you, you, we, back in those days, we were using words like pot and, and, and marijuana a lot sure. more than we were mm-hmm. now. Right. So, so we would do things, you know, we, we would put out things like, you know, hug your local pot grower, you know, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 pot growers are local farmers too. Um, yes, you know, yeah. uh, uh, pot cultivation is a family farm, 
things like this, right? Which which got the rest of the island to realize that um, you don't have to look at cannabis as a scourge. These are pe- members of the community, and and we should embrace them. And then the second thing I did is I started pulling together more of these cultivators, and I said. Um, you know, this is still in the old days when people were uh, uh, throwing away their soil after every run, right? Uh, yeah, instead yeah. of keeping it and aging the soil and, you know, more of a no-till kind of regen thing, right? Back in these days, people were just dumping their soil and thought they mm-hmm. had to start with new soil. Which, ugh. So, so, you know, we started bulk. <laughs> But we started bulk purchasing soil and just having, you know, a higher quality soil than was available generally on the island. And we were just having it come and be dumped at one location and everybody would come with their truck and fill up their truck and head on home. And, you know, we got these hugely better prices. Well, after that, people were all like, all right, Shango, what else? What else you got for us? You know, and so we started doing, you know, some other, um, you know, soil amendments we started buying in bulk and, um, you know, this was this was well ahead of my awareness of the more serious regenerative scene, which I'm, mm-hmm. you know, a big part of now. But in, in these early days, I knew I liked organic farming because I, I grew a little bit of organic mm-hmm. food. Um, but uh, I certainly didn't have like the the regenerative whole mindset. Um, I, I was just very stoked that we were using natural amendments and I knew how to make compost tea. Like, I'm like, right, that's, yeah. you know, just the idea was just like, you know, like, let's let's try to like get people off the bottle, you know, because that was yes, that was a thing yeah, that early. Yeah. Um, and so we started doing that and people really liked that. Well, at, at this point, the, 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 the underground growers started to trust me more and I'm learning a whole lot about what it yeah. means to be a cultivator because I had, I was not a cultivator. Um, I was an enthusiast and then, and then a patient. And then, um, and so I started going to these, some of these folks that, uh, that we had a more trusting relationship. And I said, Hey, you know, can I, can I shop some of your flour into Seattle? And, and they're all like, you want me to like front it to you? And I'm like, well, I guess in a way, but I, I, I just want to borrow it for two hours, three hours. Can, can, can I, can I have, you know, a couple pounds and I'll go over to the dispensaries and try to sell it. And either I will bring you back money or I will bring you back the flower. I'm not going to, it it will not be in my hands tonight, one way or another. And they're like, all right. Let's give this a try. <laughs> and um, I took it over there and I came back with money. And and so when I, I and I got them um, about 150 percent of the price that they would normally get on the yeah. island. That yes. made me very popular. Um, yes. You know, and so they're like, wait, you're saving <laughs> us money on the inputs and you're bringing us home more money and setting up these relationships. And then eventually once they they got set up, you know, the, the the cannabis was finding its way off the island, which honestly was making the concerned parents people a little happier, you know, um, mm, yeah. because I was a public figure. Since I wasn't a cultivator, I could be out front more. And so I was out front saying nice things about cannabis farmers, explaining their needs and, and explaining that this organization I had started was helping filter a lot of this cannabis off the island, yeah. which they, so caused them to embrace my new organization a little bit more, but the farmers were also thrilled and um, because they were able to get more for their products. So 
So, so this all happens, but then everything falls apart at the end of medical. Um, so we, we, you know, we got together, um, as Vimia, as a group a few times to go through the regulations when it came out, like the, the how to apply for a license. I went and I read it all and I marked it all up and then got together all these people who are interested in getting licenses and essentially taught the regulations to everybody. Yeah. And the more and you know, we met three times like this, and the more we got into it, we more we realized that this sucked, and that this yeah, was yeah. this may this was going to be really expensive, and didn't really have the needs of the cultivator at heart, and um, you know a couple of people tried, um, almost no one succeeded, and um, because they they again they were they were wanting to give their money to a different kind of license holder. Uh, than people who were uh, participating in the medical market. And so I had to make a decision at that point because, um, you know, I wasn't going to be involved with the medical market anymore. And um, I didn't look like I was going to move into the licensed market. So what are we going to do? And it came back to my first love, which was teaching patients, teaching dosing strategies and creating a safe place for cultivators. And so the the initial meetings that we had to, to learn about regulations became... Uh, patient outreach meetings and so they became like you know um you know uh, uh a, you know one doctor would come to well actually we're very lucky to have dr ethan russo the world famous neurologist say, yeah. lives on the island he's my neighbor yeah. and so yeah. and so dr russo like you know came and talked at one of these events and explained the endocannabinoid system and everybody's all like, like you know this was very new information for for the people yeah right um but also <laughs> if if you are a an event promoter and you're trying to book speakers if a cannabis um doctor scientist celebrity whatever if they know that you've already hosted dr ethan russo like right they're figuring that you're pretty okay and i got all these yeses from international like cannabis talent who would come and i tell them that we're a patient outreach organization we don't charge any money to attend we're donation based only we do not pay our speakers but you know we'll um uh, we had a sponsorship deal with the one uh, hotel on the island. I said, you know, if you come to the island overnight, we'll put you up for the night. But really, you're just coming because you care about patients and you want to talk to the real deal people. And people flocked to Vashon. And so suddenly now we've got this scene which grew from Vashon to Seattle to the Pacific Northwest. You know, we, we, we've had people fly in from Colorado and from the Bay Area for different, different events we've had because the, the variety of teaching at these events was very down home, good vibed stuff. And um, so that's where the, that's where the education of the circle all the way back around to your question. That's where yeah, the education yeah. came in is it, it was it was originally let's organize cultivators because I'm interested in them and I wanted to be helpful on, on this new island that I called home. And then and then I saw things that I could do to be of service to them. And so I did those things, which helped my reputation as being somebody who was trustworthy. And then and then we pivoted that into a patient organization to the point that you know, I, I speak here at the senior center a couple times a year and I'm on the local radio station as a guest regularly and been on the front page of the newspaper. You know, it's like um, <laughs> there's I've got I've developed this niche for myself where um, like I have been referred to as like the weed guy or the pot cut by a guy a gazillion mm -hmm. times, but not because I was selling bags. Right. Because I don't I don't sell right, flour. Right. 
I'm 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 it's because I'm teaching everybody and then telling people where they can get the stuff that they need to feel yes. better, whether it's in the rec or unlicensed market. I just, you know, um, so so that brings us, you know, pretty much to where we are now with Vimeo, where, you know, um, unfortunately, we've been on sabbatical because of covid. Right. Um, and, yeah. and Vimeo will be the last group to get people coming back together because we're all patients. Right. And so yeah. like we are at the most high risk and also, you know, there are a lot of people in the cannabis scene who um, who are resisting vaccination. And yeah. so um, I can't I, I'm certainly not going to be that guy who checks everybody's ID at the door. That's that's not really yeah. how I roll. So yeah. we're just going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait until um the risk is decreased enough that we can bring together a room of a hundred patients and not have it be super dangerous. So, you know, we, we won't have meetings until, you know, at least spring of 22, which is a bummer, right? That'll, that'll leave us yeah, at a good two sure. years. Yeah. That's going to leave us with a good two years without meetings. Um, but, you know, got to keep the patients safe. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's the weird situation we're in. I mean, I, I felt the same thing. I used to do in-person workshops pretty regularly on cannabis science topics, uh, was doing guest lectures at universities and everything. And it's been, I mean, pretty much once everything kicked off around, you know, February, March of 2020, you know, it's like, I have a daughter. I also regularly see, you know, my parents who have all sorts of medical conditions, you know, myself and my wife have medical conditions so it's we've been basically you know just being very strict on um in-person events and having to get people together and it's um it's been interesting because i've had to rely on virtual communication um leaning more on podcasting leaning more on on that sort of thing um but it does feel weird because you like to be with people and there's there are these interactions and moments and knowledge sharing that happens in person that's so hard to um to get those dynamics captured in a virtual setting i'm sure you've experienced this where you see the knowledge sharing the questions being asked the looks on people's faces these different subtleties that come out in in-person events um that's really really special um at least you know those are the kinds of things that lead me to want to do those things more and more um seeing all that happen so i yeah and the I can hugs it's been... the, the hugs yeah, yeah. right like, yeah, like right. At, the, at the you know it's like it's that simple like you know i live on an island i'm a single guy i live in a house by myself on the water right but i am not getting enough hugs when you know yeah. at, at first when covid came and all the conventions were canceled I must admit, it was nice to get like six months to a year of a travel yes. break, right? Because I had been traveling yep. two, yep. three weekends a month to to speak at events and to teach and whatever. And um, <clears throat> that had gotten to be a lot. I was I was getting tired of being, a, you know, being, being a road warrior all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But I really, really like my 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 national and now international group of cannabis family, like the people I would see at yeah. events. And so it was cool to have a break for a while. But now the break has gone longer than I've needed. You know, um, <laughs> right. I, um, you know, I uh, because I'm a I'm a high risk patient because I've got severe asthma. Um, you know, I'm not rushing to go like. You know, um, MJ Biz is, you know, coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like uh, I'm certainly not going to that this year. Right. Um, yeah. Because I am an at risk patient. Right. Um, but but I really wish I I was going to an event. You know, I really wish Cultiv yeah. Cultivation Classic in Portland. You know, that's yeah. probably not going to happen. Uh, the because Hall of Flowers, too. Yeah. I, I skipped that, too. And so yep. so um, 
but I miss those hugs, man. I really miss seeing the cannabis people and being, you know, smiling with them and, and, you know, going outside and token and then walking around and talking with vendors. Like I really, really miss the extended community and I love my Vashon yeah. community too. And I have been very focused on, you know, working on stuff here, but, um, but it, you know, it would be nice to, to go some cool places and do some cool stuff. Yeah, I totally feel you. Yeah, it's I'm ready whenever the time is right. Um, and this is a, a good uh, time to kind of switch a little bit here. You know, we've been talking about um, how all of this is developed and the work that you've been doing. But I do want to spend some time just talking about, you know, the the show, the Curious About Cannabis podcast. I want to talk about what makes you curious about cannabis. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'll just lay out one basic question related to the podcast and then spin on other things. But um, what are some insights that stand out to you that you've gained from all of the people that you've talked to, you know, over the past four years or so on the podcast? What are some notable things that stood out to you that um, uh, maybe changed your perspective a little bit or that you just we're totally unaware of that, that kind of blew your mind, but what are some uh, kind of the more significant insights that you've gained from doing shaping fire? Well, I would say one thing for sure would be understanding how different each human's body is this idea of individualized mm. medicine. Um, yeah. I really kind of thought that cannabis was the same for everybody. And that's like wildly untrue. Um, <laughs> how, pe how people react to different terpene profiles, how people, um, you know, cannabis is, is biphasic, right? Meaning you can take a little bit of THC, which will reduce your anxiety. But if you take beyond your personal threshold, it will cause anxiety, right? And because yeah. of cannabis's biphasic nature, um, we're all, we all have different thresholds. And so, um, you know, somebody may get the relief they need with the tiniest little puffy puff, whereas somebody else is gonna be like pulling tubes and blowing clouds to get where they need <laughs> based on what, you know, how many receptors they have and 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 how busy yeah. those receptors are and so it, the understanding that each patient needs to be addressed uniquely and without carrying over too many assumptions that was good for me to learn as a as a health educator but it was also good for me for just generally realizing that i should not generalize people entirely mm -hmm. um, to respect yeah. each person's individual nature. Um, and I kind of got to that through trying to help people relieve their, you know, their, their body issues and just realizing yeah. that, Oh, you know, um, everybody's different in on a lot of issues, not just their medicine and, and not to assume I know folks. So that was a, that was a breakthrough thing for me. Um, another one was I had no idea I was so interested in soil science um ah, yeah when 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 i first started cultivating it was just like take the bag soil put it in you know throw in some kind of nutrients from the store and grow a plant that's great um but then i started you know talking to um what would become known as the regenerative scene people and, yeah. and realizing the the magic of all the biological life in the rhizosphere and the protozoa and the microbes and how these folks get along and how for me one of the first things i realized was that um you know we get cold 
early in the season, right? So, so yeah. you know, we've already had it's 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 like the second week of October coming into the second week of October. Now, I've already had fifty degree nights for four weeks. And, and mm. I did, it wasn't until I started learning about soil that I realized that the soil and the containers were going to sleep, the microbes and everything were cysting up and then the plants would just go to mold. So it wasn't that, oh, my, my plants were unhealthy and then yeah. I got mold. It's that the soil went to sleep which signaled to the plant that, that we're done for the season. And so you should mold for the cycle of life. Well, that was fascinating to me. And so next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading everything I can on, um, on soil science and regenerative, you know, growing techniques and, and, and um, um, creating your own inputs on your own property. And, uh, you know, when it comes to shaping fire, the guests that I have um, very much are based on what I'm interested in learning next. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, and, and yep. luckily the show, the show's at a point now where, um, you know, everybody, everybody takes my call. Right. So it's cool. I can, nice, yeah. I can, I can reach out to whoever and say, Hey, would you come on the show and talk about this thing that I would like to learn about? And, you know, everybody's like, yeah, that would be great. And, um, and I think that, I think that because I don't fake that I know all this stuff before the show, mm -hmm. um, I think the, the audience digs that because people, it's very common for people to say, um, I like that we're learning so much together. And cause like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, some, some podcasts, they pretend that they know everything and they, they you know, they'll, they'll even talk yeah. over the guest and try to tell, like, tell the guest story. It's like, I'm much more of a, like get my mouth keep, I keep quiet and try to let the, the guests to tell their truth and then ask good questions. Um, and then when I learn something like, you know, it's common for me to go like, Oh, I never got that before. And this is how I used to, yeah. and then you could almost feel my audience going, Oh, me too. Right. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to front for a second that I know all of this stuff, you know, after doing, you know, four years of my own show and then a, another 105 episodes before that for gontrepreneur.com, you know, mm -hmm. I've done over, you know, 200 episodes and I've been doing this for like five years or so. I know a lot now, um, but uh, I learn new stuff on every episode because that's why I do those topics so I can learn. That's, that's perfect. I mean, and, and having that, <clears throat> lifelong learner mentality, um, I think is great. I mean, that's something I'm always trying to promote, um, that regardless of whatever niche you've specialized in that, you know, a lot about, there's always so much more to learn. Um, and, uh, to maintain that curiosity keeps um, us humble too, great. right? It exactly. keeps you humble yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. You, you, so as soon as you start, you think, you know, everything, you know, yeah. not, not only will you stop learning, but you'll probably also start being a prick. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yes. That's uh, yeah. Some of the biggest assholes you'll meet in the industry are those that have a little bit of knowledge that think they know a lot. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I think that's called with the, uh, like Dunning Kruger effect or something. There's actually a, um, a model for that, that you can look up. There's a graph. Anyone listening that wants to look it up, you can actually see, uh, this theory, um, related to knowledge acquisition and confidence. And, um, you know, when you get a little bit of knowledge, you often overestimate how much, you know, when you have a lot of knowledge, you generally underrepresent how much, you know, because you've become humbled, um, and recognize that, 
you know, even the things I think I know a lot about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who knows? There's, there's always more rabbit holes and, and new new things to shine light on and everything. Um, and one thing I wanted to make sure that we spent time on, because I know that you're really into regenerative agriculture now. Yeah. And something we talked about before we started recording that I found really fascinating was that you've been trying to figure out how it might be possible to take, uh, you know, permaculture, regenerative agriculture principles um, and take them from the outdoor cultivation environment and find ways to integrate them in the indoor cultivation environment. Um, so before we wrap up, I definitely wanted to make sure to spend some time um, speaking on that. So I, I know we've talked about it a little bit already off camera, but um, can you share a little bit about your recent um, indoor uh, cultivation foray and um, what you learned from that experience? Yeah, so I've got to admit, I um, I have evolved my thinking, and um, again, another thing that makes one uh, humble. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, so for years, I have been a proponent of only outdoor. Um, I think that the quality of the medicine that comes out of outdoor plants that are grown under the sun is higher than indoor, because the wider spectrum of light um, mm -hmm. uh, means that we are um, uh, creating a wider terpene profile. Uh, uh, a, a stronger cannabinoid profile, and just generally the plants thrive better. Um, um, I understand the appreciation of indoor from its uh, connoisseur level and bag appeal and right. beauty, but that's a different topic. Um, I really like the medicinal value of outdoor plants. And um, I also didn't have a place to grow indoors. And so I was, I was, you know, I was an outdoor guy because that's all I had access to. And, and I, you know, I believe the gospel of Northern California outdoor that that's like, you know, that's the best way to go. And so that's what I've practiced, um, you know, and, and, and over the years, I have increased my soil knowledge and using natural inputs and, you know, natural farming techniques and KNF. And, and so I've got a, you know, I've got a pretty good sense of what I'm doing outdoors now and, um, and keeping my soil alive over the year and, and using that same thriving soil the following year. So that's great. Um, however, uh, it became important to me to, um, do two things. Number one, I needed new things to explore on the Instagram, the Shaping Fire Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got I've got like what like eleven thousand followers, and um, and you know I'm trying to always provide helpful tidbits. Well, that's a lot yeah. harder to do if you're an outdoor grower during the winter. And I'm like, you know. Yeah let's see if I can, let's see if I can do this stuff indoors. And so, um, I, uh, uh, in this new house that I moved into last year, I've got, I've got a little bit of room. So I just set up a simple four by four tent and mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of letting the plant roots talk to each other. And so instead yeah, of yeah. making individualized, uh, containers, um, I set up a really nice four foot by four foot by, um, uh, 20 inch deep bed. And then nice. um, I used the um, the layered biomimicry soil technique that um, was taught by that's taught by Leighton Morrison um, on my show, and and so I asked him to get involved to make sure I did the bed right, and I wildcrafted all my inputs, which was nice. a pain in the ass. <laughs> and um, I it's funny I highly recommend it for quality of flower, but I mm -hmm. don't recommend it for the amount of hassle. <laughs> 
Um, like I never realized that wild crafting silt was going to be so damn hard. <laughs> and so, and so anyway, so I wild crafted everything for the bed and built it out. And, um, and then, um, because in my head, like I understand that there are indoors, there's lots of options, right? There's, you know, there's, there's hydro, there's Rockwell cubes, there's all this other kind of stuff, but, but none of those are really how I do things. I am, um, yeah. I, I like the, uh, you know, um, Jeff Lowenfeld says, you know, if, if a worm can't live in it, it's not really a growing medium. And like, I, I, I know that, <laughs> yeah. I know that yeah. it's, a, it's up for argument and, and, you know, and, and I'm not trying to pick a fight with the, with the Rockwell people, but, but for me, that's where my head is, is I wanted to use real soil biology because I'm a soil nerd. And so, yeah. um, so I wanted to, I, I started bringing in as many of the techniques that I could find from outdoors, indoors. And um, did you know? Did my first run, and I found um, uh, I, I I found lights that I really liked. I liked their spectrum. I liked the the company's philosophy, um, and that's uh, that's BIOS lighting. They make um, mm. they make really good lights for both humans <laughs> and for and for cultivation. They're actually a NASA spinoff company. That their oh, scientists funny. helped develop the um, the LED growing setups for the space station. Which as uh, ah. as a, as an odd thing, I actually used to work on the space station i was i was gonna say yeah. yeah that's a funny thing to mention back i used to live in colorado for a while uh in uh, late 90s and uh, i worked for a, a technology company there that was making rfid devices for a space hob what was the original name for the space station and so um you know, stuff that I have touched um, is, you know, theoretically still up in the space station. So that's cool. So anyway, uh, that's super cool. yeah. got off the got off the the point. But the 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 first run out of the tent was like the best things I have ever grown in my life. And like, <laughs> I, I recognize how difficult that is too, as a, as a devout outdoor guy that I yeah. grew this stuff indoor that is without a doubt, the best weed that I had ever grown. And honestly, it was like the top five things I had ever even smoked. And I'm like, Oh, wow. yeah. And what yeah. I realized was how limited I am by how short and crappy our summers are where I live here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, if, if you think about it, a, a simple eight week flowering period, if, 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 if the plants start to flower here around August 15th, that's October 15th. <laughs> we are soaked and cold by October 15th. So really, yeah. we only really get about five weeks of growing season before things start going to hell. Then I realized that um, I'm actually a lot better grower than I thought I was. It was that I was trying to grow well in a poor environment. Yeah. So as soon as I took those same regenerative techniques and brought them indoors, um, I hit it out of the ballpark. Well, that made me feel really good, you know, because like year after year yeah. of getting beaten down by the bad weather, you kind of feel like right? a schmuck, yeah. you know, I'm like, ah, you know, someday I'll be decent, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep <laughs> on learning and keep on plugging away. And then I grow once indoors and it's like, holy smokes. And, and so that, that made me feel good. Um, and so, um, I'm still torn, right? Because, um, it really, it was really satisfying to me to grow flowers that I could never finish here indoors and have them finish beautifully, like really finish, yeah. not like, 
oh, it needed 10 more days outdoor, right? Mm. Like, because that's what that's <laughs> but what we I've can been take gr- it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that stuff's still, you know, that stuff's still great to process into tinctures and RSO and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not like fun to smoke, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, because it's it's just not there, but the indoor stuff is definitely there. So so I've got, I'm at this new point now where um, I am absolutely a lover of outdoor, but because of where I live, I absolutely see the need for indoor. But if I'm going to do indoor, I'm not going to be using bottles and rock wool and A and B formulas and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I am going to be using like like whole nature soil additives wild crafted when i can do it responsibly but otherwise you know um Mm -hmm. you know you know build a soil you know gives out you know sells a lot of really great inputs you know and uh, and you know get stuff from like there and um and then leaving the only real problem for me the fact that i'm using electricity for my lights right which um you know, um, I try to, you know, have a small carbon footprint and I'm somewhere in between a, I use so little electricity in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And my carbon mm-hmm. footprint is so small that if, if I'm going to choose to spend my allotment of electricity on the lights, that's my decision to make. And, yeah. and so I do that, but even more importantly, um, I am aggressively researching and continuing to talk to um, uh, solar people because I mm-hmm. think that when the day comes that we can, um, you know, capture the sun and put it in batteries and have that push enough juice to run LED lights, it will mm-hmm. absolutely remake the home grower industry. And yeah, so I, totally um, I, I believe that that time is soon. I don't think it's far away. And so, um, so, you know, am I totally comfortable with, you know, using lights to grow indoors? No, but um, I picked good LED lights that don't use a lot of electricity. I am producing my own medicine, which I think is legit. And mm-hmm. um, as soon as there is a, a, a real opportunity to, you know, teach using solar at home for home grow, I will have that show first, you know, I, I, yes, I will be yeah. all into it. So, so, so yeah, I'm in this transition place where um, I am a devout outdoor grower who now has fallen in love with indoor. And, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm like wildly excited about my second cycle coming up here. So. That's yeah. super cool. And what did you, uh, what did you grow for your, um, for this first round of indoor experimentation? Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm, before I go into it, um, people will be like probably shocked that I'm going to name five plants. Um, this was part of my learning curve. Five plants is way too many for a four by four tent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we will, we will definitely cause, you know, p- tie that up to, um, a learner's error. Cause like, I just wanted That's variety. Right. Yeah. I wanted to finish five yeah. different things so I could try five different things, but it was, it, it like overgrew like crazy. So, um, oh, sure. with, the, yeah. with that, um, the, the, I grew the the the, the hot hot Bicket OG that has mm-hmm. been it was bred by uh, Nick Risden at Lime Rising Farms, and that's a cross of uh, GMO and cherry pie. Um, it nice. is uh, an absolutely delightful strain. And then um, um, I was uh, given seeds um, that were bred by my good friend and uh, very popular cannabis guy Michael Hinden, who um, 
who died a year ago now. Um, um, as a matter of fact, I was on my way to pick up these seeds um, when I found out that he had been murdered um, the prior day. And oh um, I was like at the airport um, going down to meet with Leighton Morrison in, in, um, in Southern California. And then we were going to drive over to uh, Hindi's house. And then I found out that, that he had passed. And, and so there, there was a lot of grieving there, but then um you know, his business partner, you know, uh, widow, um, Brianna reached out to me and she said, Hey, you know, um, I knew Michael was going to do this thing with you and he was going to give you seeds for the patients on Vashon. And uh, I still want to continue on with the things that, that Michael wanted to do. And so, um, she sent me, um, almost a complete set of, of the modern epigenetics first release and they're all runts crosses. And mm. so that became extra special, right? Because not only yeah, are these crosses yeah. that I was hot to grow, but it was like Michael, right? This is Michael's yeah, work. Right. And so it became a real, um, 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 you know, labor of love for lack of a better term. And so, yeah. uh, um, we grew, um, I grew uh, Michael's Secret Stuff, which is GMO runs, and then also um, um, uh, uh, Jet Fuel OG runs uh, called Private Jet, and that's a stinker. Hmm. That's a really great plant. The Michael's Secret, yeah. the Michael's Secret Stuff is a good plant because I like GMO, but the Jet Fuel OG runs, it was just like nasty and caustic and stony. It's really great, <laughs> and then. Um, and then um, the two opposite corners grew a um, uh, land race uh, Acapulco Gold, um, oh, wow. which um, which was okay. It didn't turn out as nicely as I had hoped it would. It was beautiful. It just mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of nose to it. And then yeah. um, and then I ran CSI Humboldt's uh, UK cheese Skittles cross, which oh, um, nice. which is yeah. really great. So um, not you. So hold on, not UK cheese Skittles. Uh, Obama Skittles, because okay, um, I've, yeah. I've always liked the Obama strain. So anyway, so yeah. But the the funny thing is, is that Bicket OG is just a monster. That like you put that yeah, right. you put the, you put the Bicket OG <laughs> in a four by four, and it turns into a cage fight. You know, the Bicket like yeah. overgrew everything else, and you know, oh, so that was really difficult. <laughs> so so I'm very much excited. I'm going to uh, I'm going to scrog this next cycle, mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, I'm gonna I'm, nice. I think I'm just gonna stick to three plants, which is probably still more than I should have. But my goal is to, to grow them and then just weave them back and forth and see how that yeah. goes. You know, one of the cool things that like, since, since I'm not cultivating for profit, I'm cultivating for medicine. And so that I have like things to take photographs of, to put on the Instagram, um, um, I can embrace my screw ups, you know, like, yes, like yeah. it isn't like, yeah. Oh, if, if I did this wrong, I can't pay rent. Well, I'm not, I'm not using that to pay rent. I pay rent from the advertising on my show, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, I, I can really embrace my mistakes and go, Oh, well, I, I effed that up, <laughs> you know, and, and then take right. pictures of Let's it. Let's all and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this stupid thing I did, you know, because I was, I was naive or I just didn't have the experience. And so I use those, you know, those things to teach but um very very much love indoor now and um and now and now i'm like you know plotting what plants i'm going to do this cycle after the next cycle after the next cycle <laughs> like you know yes i've got i've got indoor fantasies now 
You've been hooked. Yes, I, I have absolutely <laughs> been hooked and constantly now, I'm like, even though I don't have any more room in my house other than this four by four tent, I'm already thinking, how could I how could I do a whole room like, you know, doing doing two, <laughs> yeah. two or three plants is great. But I'd really love to do like a full patient card of 15, you know, indoor. Right. But, yeah. you know, that's yeah. that's not where I'm at right now. So and that's OK. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And have you have you played around with um, auto flowers at all? Oh yeah, well, um, I I fell in love with autoflowers and became a big uh, proponent of them about three years ago. Um, as soon as I learned what an autoflower was, um, mm -hmm. by uh, you know by 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 going into the fields in Oregon, actually in Oregon near you, um, Oregon nice. CBD Seeds, um, oh, uh, yeah, Seth and yeah. Eric Crawford, nice. right? Good friends of mine, and so their first auto was a was a um, all CBD hemp cultivar called RNA, really nice auto. And when I was there and they explained to me how they're, how they're not dependent on the sun, they're dependent on, you know, their length of light and that they automatically mature and flower. I'm all like, holy hell, patience everywhere that is not California needs these yep. because yeah, yep. um, so many of the genetics are designed for California weather. And then, and then we don't have California weather in most of the rest of the country. And so <laughs> the idea that, um, you know, we can start something you know, June 1st and harvest it middle of September when we're all still in drought, yeah, yeah. that was like, and so uh, I immediately dug into that hard. Um, um, I started hunting out autoflower breeders and putting them on my show and um, uh, hunting out seeds so that I could grow and take pictures and learn myself and um, um, hooked up with Jeff Lowenfels, who mm -hmm. um, put out a book on autoflowers and uh, told him that when the book came out, I wanted to have him on, on my show for his first interview. And uh, that was cool. He actually invited me to write something for the jacket. So I'm like on oh, the jacket so cool. of the book. So that's nice. cool. And um, and uh, as we talked earlier, you know, I did a lot of traveling to teach about cannabis and I was usually being booked to talk about something patient oriented. Right. And so mm -hmm. my I guess this would have been two or two, three years ago. I don't know. In COVID days, everything mashes together. I but know, but yeah. but you know, about a year and a half before we started all the, the COVID -y stuff, um, I was just touring, going to conventions and teaching autoflowers, which, you know, historically have a pretty bad reputation because the past seeds have been pretty low yielding sure. and pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty weak. But uh, like the new generation of seeds are fantastic. And, you know, they're not going to get to be monster plants that, you know, we all still love. But like most people don't have the weather to grow those monster plants or, or at least to finish them. Right. You might be able yeah. to grow a monster plant, but are the plant are the flowers ever going to finish? Eh, not most places in the country. So anyway, I kind of took the, the auto flower gospel on the road and um, and I reached out to lots of auto flower seed companies and I said, hey, do you want to sponsor my talk? And all it takes for you to sponsor the talk is to send me a box of seeds that I can give away to patients after the talks. Mm, and of course, they're all nice. like, hell yeah, Shango. And so all these all these folks sent me seeds and I, you know, I asked everybody, hey, will you throw in a couple extra for me so I can grow them and and put pictures on on Instagram and I'll send you traffic. And they're like, yeah, we're good with that. So. So I would go to all these all these cities and give my talk about autoflowers and then say, you know, if you are a patient, come up and get a seed pack. 
if you have if you are not a patient um don't come get a seed pack go go buy one from one of these seed providers go mm-hmm. out on the floor and buy them at the show but if you know if you're a leg- if you consider yourself a legit patient come get packs and it was great these packs like patients are usually neglected right they're you know especially yeah. at <clears throat> trade shows because they've got no money to spend usually right and so suddenly yeah, they're absolutely. they're they're the ones getting the free stuff and it was like high quality good seeds and um, so that was really good, and it, and it felt good. It's good to be the conduit for that kind of love from the yep. from the breeders to the to the patients, and um, and so um, I'm very grateful that the autoflower community has embraced me, and um, even though I'm not a breeder, all I want to do is is help spread their gospel and and why you should buy their seeds. So you know, um, <laughs> and. Um, and, and I think they get that my heart's in the right place. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything from the exactly. scene. I, I just want to make what I want to make their art history more popular and, and we've done a great job. So that's really great. I am, um, you know, even though, um, autoflowers still tend to get a lot of flack by a certain kind of grower. Um, I'm really honored to be, you know, one of the people, um, at the, at the forefront of teaching autoflowers. Absolutely. I mean, it's super fascinating to me for some of the very reasons that have come about in um, just talking about your experimentation with indoor and everything. Um, Just thinking about how you translate cannabis cultivation to other places um, other than California and the lower half of Oregon. Um, You know, we have to um, expand our um, conceptions of you know of all of these things and recognize like you said that everywhere is not california um having that sort of arid environment and these long you know summers and everything um that's not going to be the case and i I mentioned before the interview started that i'm from the southeast and so i'm keeping my eyes on you know tennessee north carolina arkansas these places that are the hemp starting to get big so they're jumping into large fields of cannabis cultivation and are recognizing like, oh no, <laughs> like this doesn't this doesn't quite translate. Everything I've been reading and all these books and everything, it, it doesn't quite match up. Um, and so, seeing experimentation with autoflowers, um, I find particularly fascinating from that perspective. How can autoflowering uh, varieties be used in places that typically do get a little more humid? That the rainy seasons start really early. Um, or in places where, you know, you get these cold fronts that come really early, <clears throat> seeing how that can be a bridge to, especially because as places legalize cannabis, they usually don't let you bring cannabis from other places, uh, mm-hmm. other states. And so you're stuck with, you know, in whatever state you're in, once it goes medical or, you know, full adult use legal, you've got to work with the climate and, and situation you have, which is one reason why people often retreat i say retreat that's not the best way to put that but they they tend to default back to indoor because they just figure outdoor isn't even an option so um, it'll be interesting to see if autoflowers as they get bred and improved upon because they've definitely changed a lot since like the 90s oh yeah Um, i remember back in the day like the old um like high times magazines and stuff you know you'd start to see advertisements for autoflowers for closet grows um mm. you know so that the plants would be small enough that you could keep in a uh, a little grow box or uh, you know people used to grow in like uh pc cases you know that they would outfit uh, to grow plants in and so seeing autoflowers come from that you know kind of early start to where it is now is just 
really fascinating to see and it's got me really especially from a scientific perspective i'm like i want to do trials with autoflowers and start to look at the biochemistry of these things and and see if we notice any interesting things in some of these genetics that we don't see in other things because um, you never know until you look um so um yeah that's all fascinating and something i definitely wanted to to check on because it seems like for a place like washington that would definitely be the way to go as far as outdoor cultivation for sure. I mean, the the some of the early autoflowers that I was growing were like a hundred days, but but this summer I got mm, to grow a bunch mm -hmm. of sixty days. Sixty days. Wow! Wow! Like, and they were fantastic. That's wild. Fantastic autoflowers that were sixty days, and um, you know they're not big plants, but you know just like when we were talking earlier about individualized medicine for patients, mm -hmm. you need individualized genetics for growers. <clears throat> yes. You know, a lot of patients. You know, okay, great. It's it's wonderful that they could potentially. Grow grow a 12 foot plant, but how the hell are they going to take that down? You know, people with mobility <laughs> yeah. issues or who are yes, growing yeah. in a backyard and they don't want to get their stuff ripped, right? For there, yeah. there is a, there are particular growers that growing a <clears throat> two and a half, three foot, maybe a four foot plant that's going to stay short. Um, but maybe they grow a few more of them. So they have some variety. There are people who who don't need the traditional monster plant because that's not what they need. And so in the same way that we talk about individualized medicine, I like to talk about individualized cultivation. It isn't that yeah. one, one seeds are necessarily better than the other. It is the, the seeds highest use for that particular cultivator. And, um, you know, I think it's another another way that we as educators can encourage people to, um, you know, be be in service to you know like the people that we're trying to educate whether or not they be you know people who identify as patient growers or just home growers or mm -hmm. or you know extractors right it's it's all about you know being in service and so that the individual cannabis enthusiast can choose which attributes of our scene work best for them it's yeah. I, I, it drives me nuts when people compare like growing styles, like how you are growing is wrong. Like, dude, you're talking to this guy on Facebook or Instagram. How do you know any, any of the details of this person's needs, right? Like, like this person will figure out what works best for themselves. Don't worry about yelling at them that they're an idiot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's that, that, uh, yeah, kind of goes across uh, the entire industry in general. Um, I think as the industry is like kicking off, um, and people are much more public with their cannabis usage and growing and everything. Yeah, you see so much uh, typical human dynamics bickering yeah. and posturing and comparing and everything. And it, it is important to make that note that everyone ha has their own relationship and specific uh, situation that they're in, that they're going to find things that work for them. And there are lots of options um and so getting caught up in trying to understand what's best um right away is just kind of a um it's kind of a fool's errand um it's yeah what's best for you um is is definitely a great message to get out there i also just glanced at the time just noticed between um our cuts we've probably gone on for like an hour and a half here so i want to be respectful of your time um i apologize for not um noticing that sooner um but uh, this has been a wonderful conversation shango and um i wish we could go on for another hour and a half or two because um 
especially as we get going here and comparing stories and stuff. Um, there's so much that's popping in my brain, memories and things from <laughs> the, the past 10 years or so um, that, uh, yeah, there's there's so much to learn from, uh, from where we've come from and, and where we're going. And I guess the last question I'll pose to you is, what do you hope to see from the future um, as cannabis? You know, I say the cannabis industry, but when I say the cannabis industry, I really just mean the widespread proliferization and normalization of, of cannabis, you know, broadly, whether that's in the legal market or home growing or, you know, whatever manifestation that has. But what do you hope to see from the future of the cannabis industry as we move into, you know, the next several years, five years or so? Well, let's start with the most uh, difficult thing that I would like to see. And um, I would like to see um, uh, more states adopt and hold a one acre cap like they were supposed to have in mm. California, but then the lobbyists got <laughs> yeah. beaten up so that people are now stacking licenses in California. Because originally there was supposed to be a window of opportunity for small heritage growers and family yeah. farms to get well-established in the market before the big commoditized cannabis companies were supposed to be able to, to do anything in California. And um, effective lobbying by uh, big money um, totally made that disappear just one night in the morning it was gone and no one was willing to talk about how that happened and yeah. so i'm hoping that um as we see the the rise and strengthen of these msos these multi-state operators mm -hmm. which are essentially like you know mcdonald's for weed right that the quality right. is 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 not you know what it could be and um it really commodifies the whole thing um i hope that that many states learn from the California mistake and they create situations in their states that that is the opposite of what they're doing now, which is trying to beckon these multi-state operators so that they can deal with fewer providers um, and just make the whole thing easy for themselves instead of doing the thing that should be done, which is letting small players grow in their state and then exporting those companies to into other states that did not do a one acre cap. Um, I'm asking a lot in that, I know. Um, but that's the that's the number one thing for me is I would love to see something happen where the small guy can start to compete more effectively with these with these MSOs. Um, second, no surprise, I'm super excited to see the future of autoflowers and, yes. um, and um, you know, because we're still very early in the process and, and, and so much has happened in such a, a short amount of time. And now that this is the pool that I'm swimming in more, um, you know, than, than photo periods, um, you know, I still keep my hand in photo periods, but, but really, I think um, for, for the, the regular home grower and patients, the future is autoflower. And so um, I'm very excited to see what happens there. And then um, I'm also uh, excited with the, mm, what do we want to say? Like, like the standardization of cannabis knowledge, mm. because right now there's mm. still a lot of bro science in the teaching of the endocannabinoid system. And, yes, you yes. know, people, you know, like, uh, you know, 
people they thinking they need an indica for this and a sativa for that when indica and sativa is a is a false right. thing it doesn't even exist in reality it's right. just shorthand because people aren't educated properly enough and as as uh, you know prohibition continues to melt away into some kind of normalized thing um, i look forward to people more uniformly understanding how cannabis can help them and relieve their symptoms so that people are doing less trial and error and more, oh, I'm using the best practices that we've already learned and shared. So I would yeah. say those three things are the things that, um, you know, are, are three of the things that I'm, I'm most excited to see come. Yeah. And I mean, those are huge. You know, that first one you mentioned, I know it's a, it's a big ask, but I, completely agree because once again i mean i saw similar things happen in oregon you know like starting in these labs and getting to know these medical growers and these small farms and small businesses um you get emotionally invested in wanting to see them succeed as the industry is starting to come about and then when you see them get totally crushed and basically no hope of being able yeah. to participate in any way um I mean, it's not just sad, like it's it's wrong. It's it's just wrong. Um, and so I'm I'm I want to just echo that, that um, absolutely. That's something that needs to get more attention as more and more states um, uh, change their laws, because um, I I do worry that we're already kind of knee deep in this process of kind of excommunicating all of the folks who got us to this point basically the people that took the risk early on uh participating in either straight out black market or gray you know gray market areas that stuck through medical all the way up to recreational and now are trying to decide what to do to make a living because mm -hmm. you know it doesn't seem like growing is going to do it anymore those I'm, I'm sad to hear more and more and more of those stories as more time goes on a lot of people in oregon i know lots of good great growers that have abandoned growing um mm -hmm. because the money's just not there anymore um so um yeah i i totally feel that so that one in particular i just want to make sure people are really thinking about especially if anyone listening to this has any um sway in any of these states that are you know, uh, currently discussing legislative changes. Um, yeah, all great things. Um, and, you know, I also want to uh, make sure to give you a chance here in the last few minutes, let everybody know um, how to find Shaping Fire, the website, social media accounts. It's all fairly easy because if anyone looks for Shaping Fire, they should find you. Yeah, I'll do the um, I'll do the plugs we, anyway. Yeah, so yeah, do, do the plugs. Yeah, the plugs. Uh, so uh, the the center of the Shaping Fire universe is at shapingfire.com. You can listen to the podcast episodes there. You can sign up for the newsletter there as well. Um, uh, we do co cool contests for people who are subscribed to the newsletter. So I recommend that you uh, you sign up for that. Um, the the at Shaping Fire Instagram is incredibly popular. Um, that's where I do um, you know most of my teaching both successes and failures and um you know let you know about some of the stuff i've found in um you know regenerative growing technique or um or new products that i'm into whatever so the instagram's um uh pretty popular i also have a personal instagram at shango Los that's also got you know ten thousand followers or whatever and that's a little bit less about the show and a little bit more about you know farm tours that i've gone on and um nice. 
um, just like inter more interesting things about like me as another cannabis enthusiast, that stuff that doesn't necessarily fit the Shaping Fire brand. Um, I also want to plug the Shaping Fire YouTube channel, which is really different because um, even though there are certainly um, uh, the, the audio files from the, the Shaping Fire podcast are there for you to listen to as well. The reason people love the Shaping Fire YouTube channel is because that's where I post all of my random videos from doing Shaping Fire. So you'll get, um, you know, lots of farm tours, farm tour outtakes. When I go to conventions, everything that I see at the convention, I, I record all of those speakers and bring them home for people who don't have access to it. The YouTube channel was nothing that I like intended to do. It was just that when I got home from traveling, I had all these videos. Where the hell am I going to put them? And so I just started dumping them onto the YouTube channel. And now like, you know, um, there are there are hundreds of videos there and, um, you know, we've got, you know, 10 or 13,000 subscribers and um, and I think we just recently hit like, you know, our one millionth viewer. So so it's really nice. popular. Wow. And so the, so that's kind of fun. And um, yeah, I think that's it. So but the center of that universe is shapingfire.com. And honestly, if you just put shaping fire in Google, you'll find it all. So um, yeah. be before we go, I also want to thank you, Jason. You know, I, I, I absolutely see why you got feedback from people that you and I should talk. Um, yeah. I, I have enjoyed I have enjoyed this interview a great deal, which is not something I can always say when I'm on shows. Um, but your <laughs> yeah. your um, we do have a similar warm cadence and thoughtful approach yeah. to interviewing. And I absolutely see why people uh, suggested that we meet because I too share your, your experience of, of feeling an immediate kinship with you. And like, we could talk for hours yeah. and hours. So, so hopefully when, when all this COVID bullshit is done, um, we can have time to get together and do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, something I'm, uh, planning to do whenever it's safe to do. I I'd actually planned to do it the year COVID hit was I, I wanted to hit the road and travel around, meet with a lot of people that I had already been meeting for the podcast and everything, do some on-site, you know, live videos and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that came crashing down and then I was like, okay, maybe 2021 that'll happen. Um, <laughs> no, didn't ha it didn't happen again. <laughs> so uh, we'll see about 2022. But at some point, I will be getting on the road and trying to connect with folks. And um, it'd be great to know, have you up here for a Vimeo meeting. You know, uh, once yeah, we yeah. once we restart those, I think you'd really enjoy the vibe scene. It even our meetings are even in an old log grange hall. It's, yes, it's nice. very, it's very old school rural romantic, dude. It's really great. Yes. So when, no, when, we, when we start definitely. doing those, I'll send you an invitation when we start those back up. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, there's definitely when in-person curious about cannabis events start uh, getting going again, once again, whenever that happens, um, I'll definitely be reaching out to you to um, connect over that kind of stuff too. Cause um yeah, I'd love to be able to talk to you again and work with you any way we can. Uh, it's been a great pleasure on my end. Right on. I, I feel the same way. Thank you very much for the invitation. Absolutely. All right, everybody that's listening, uh, thanks so much for tuning in, as always. And if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, similarly, if you search for Curious About Cannabis, you'll find us. Our social media tags are all over the place. Um, but uh, Instagram is really the main place to find us, um, at Curious About Cannabis and uh, the website cacpodcast.com. 
And then we also have an app out uh, now, too, where you can kind of stay connected to all of the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem stuff. Um, and you can look for that. Um, otherwise, everyone out there, as usual, stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye, everybody. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. 